Well, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks so much, Pastor Brent, for that invitation, that warm welcome. Um, I was also here last night speaking at Mental Health and Faith event, so it's nice to be back in what is now a familiar space to me, and wonderful to be here with you all this morning. Um, I just wanted to applaud you all for just um, everything that I've heard about this church. I know this is a place that you all rented for 10 years that you now own, and just to see the ways that God is working in this community has been really inspiring to me as I've been here meeting with different people, speaking to different groups, and again, just to see what God is doing in individual lives, to see what he's doing in this church, to see what he's doing in this community and in this state has really been awesome for me to be able to take a, a look at and to be able to jump into the work with you today as well. So thank you so much for that invitation. If you all could give yourselves a round of applause for what God is doing through you as well. So I do have to say I am thankful that I made it here this morning. Uh, I flew out of New York a couple days ago for some other events in St. Louis, and I wasn't quite sure if I was going to get here. So on the plane, you know, I thought, well, let me take a little nap before we take off. So as we taxi uh, from the, the runway, I probably napped for like 35, 45 minutes. I woke up, and I'm like, we're still on the ground. <laughs> Something doesn't seem quite right here. Then the pilot comes on. He's like, oh, we have a message, and we have to listen to that message, and we can't take off yet, but we'll get back to you. I'm like, okay, whatever. A few minutes later, he comes back. Oh, we're still trying to clarify that message, and we're not sure if we're going to be able to take off or not, but just hold tight. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to you in time. So you can imagine people on the plane are all reacting in different ways to that message, whatever that message was. A lady a few rows down from me was starting to ask the flight attendant, can you please ask the pilot what the message is about? And she's like, we don't know either. We can't really tell you. And you could tell she was getting worked up with all this. So not a lot of information. So eventually the pilot's like, okay, we have to taxi back to the, to the, to the gate. And when we get to the gate, you all are going to have to get off. I'm going to have to do a quick evaluation. We'll let you know. So we get back to the gate. We're there. And he's like, okay, don't get off the plane. Don't deplane yet. A mechanic is coming on the plane. We're going to wait and see what the mechanic says. And then we'll get back and update you. So you can imagine that's not helping the neighbor that I had who was trying to figure out what's going on. Then he comes on a few minutes later and he says, okay, what we're going to do now is we're going to turn off the plane, we're going to wait for 60 seconds, and then we're going to turn it back on. <laughs> and I was like, is this a reboot? Like, is there some warning that's coming on? They just want to like, see if we can just do a quick restart and maybe it'll disappear. And by this point, again, the lady who is sitting a few rows from me is not feeling very good about this whole situation. So eventually, it did communicate that there was a missing, there was a part that they needed to replace. And then they couldn't find that part because they had the right serial number, but not the right part. So then I said, you can get off the plane, but we don't know how long it's going to be till, till the part gets here. So you can either wait or you can book a new flight if you want, but it's up to you. <laughs> not a lot of information. So that's something that would get a lot of us anxious. And there's going to be a theme as we're going through today. But I did eventually make it here. They did end up just, they couldn't find the part. The part wasn't getting there. We got a different plane. We eventually got here. But just to say, that's how I arrived in St. Louis. <laughs> so it's been a little bit of a journey. But you'll see that that story will come up as we go through the, uh, the sermon this morning as well. But yes, yeah, so thankful in many ways that I've been able to make it here with you all this morning. Um, and again, just being here in this place, you know, as a neuroscientist, usually when I start a sermon or a talk, it's very easy for me to start to talk about the benefit of community from a research standpoint. I'm not going to do that today. I'm not going to go through all the evidence. I think for those of us in the body of Christ, as we are this morning, we know the importance of being in community. That's something that we're encouraged to do in Scripture, to not give up the time of meeting together that we can encourage one another all the more as we see the day of Christ approaching. 
But I think even over the last few years, we can appreciate community in an even different way. Now, if you're like me, you're probably tired about hearing about the pandemic and COVID and everything that's gone on with that. But I think it's also been very instructive because it shows us, it has shown us both the benefit and the challenge of community. After everything we walked through, having to be in isolation, maybe some of us feeling like we were forced in isolation, not wanting to be in isolation, trying to think about whether how long things would last, how serious is it, is it not serious, do we have to mask, do we not have to mask, vaccine, no vaccine, and all the contention that came up around that. At the same time, many of us realizing how important it was for us to be in community. So again, it's important for us to be able to have this time together. And I haven't even mentioned all the political strife and tensions and divisions that have been coming up over the last few years. So with that backdrop, it's especially encouraging for me to be able to be in a place like this today, especially as I've heard about this community and as I know that there are so many different walks of life, so many backgrounds, so many nationalities, ages, life experiences that are all represented in this room. And so again, it's encouraging for me to know that you all are walking together in unity, not in perfection, but in unity, which takes work to work through. So for me, again, as a believer and as a neuroscientist and someone who thinks about community, it's wonderful to be able to be here with you all and to engage in this conversation together as we continue to walk in community with one another. So with that backdrop, let me go ahead and open us in prayer, and then we will jump into the sermon. Lord God, I just thank you for what you're doing in this place, Lord God. I just thank you for the ways you've already been moving even through the worship this morning, Lord. I thank you for your hand at work in so many lives and in this community, Lord God. And I thank you for this opportunity for us to be able to be in community together today, to be able to consider your word, what you would have to speak to us, and to maybe learn from a little different perspective than we typically learn or hear about on a Sunday morning, Lord God. I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I pray that you would use me as your vessel, speak through me, and anoint my words this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So I didn't, I intentionally, or maybe unintentionally, didn't come up with a title for this sermon. So maybe I'll let you all decide what that will be at the end. It might be dangerous for me to ask that question. But there's a few themes that I think you'll hear as we go through. Now, obviously, I, you can tell that I'm grateful to be here. I focus a lot on community. And it's important in community to kind of think about how we engage with one another. So even though I'm here speaking to you from the pulpit, if I were speaking to you one-on-one, -on -one, one question I might ask you is how you entered into the space and into the church this morning. Some of you might tell me that you're grateful to be here and that you have uh, just an attitude of gratitude to be able to be here in fellowship with other believers this morning. Some of you might say that you walked into this place feeling expectant. Maybe there are certain things that God is doing in your life and that you're expecting to come to fruition in the near future. If you're honest, some of you would probably say that you walked in feeling pretty curious. Maybe you're curious, what is a neuroscientist going to share at a Sunday morning sermon? It's a good question. I often say I'm curious about that too, because this is a not to scare you, this is the second time I've given a sermon at a church. So I have joined you in that curiosity, and we'll all learn together. Some of you might have walked in feeling pretty frazzled. So I grew up in a family of six, so four kids. So that was a lot of work for my parents to get us out of the door on Sunday morning. Uh, we're all two years apart, so you can imagine what that was like when we were younger and even as we were getting older with all the personalities that come with teenagehood. And so that was no small task. So obviously and often when we got to church, there was a lot of discombobulation. Sometimes there was some strife that happened, but eventually we kind of got there and settled in. So some of you may be in that camp as well. It's also possible that some of you might have walked in feeling frustrated or down or disappointed based on certain things that are happening in your life right now. 
you might be in a place of grieving for any host of different reasons. Or you might be on the other end of the spectrum feeling very celebratory. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge all of these aspects of the ways that we can walk into a church service and to know that sometimes we can be feeling a mixture of those as well. But again, I know you can hear from my comments that the way that I've walked in is really a place of gratitude, just to be able to be here in community with all of you, to be able to engage in conversation, and to be able to learn from one another as well. So this morning, it's really my hope that we'd be able to live out Proverbs 27:17 and to really embody that verse, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that's my prayer that we'd be able to do that together this morning. So as we lean into that conversation, and again, think about being in community, we obviously know that being in community is twofold. It's an opportunity for us to know other people, but it's also an opportunity for us to be known. That involves things that can be joyous, things that can be gratifying, but it also involves things that can be messy as we walk through each other's joys and each other's burdens the ups and downs of life, which can include emotional challenges, challenging circumstances, mental health challenges, and even mental illness. But my goal in this conversation this time this morning is that we can lean into all that together, not dismiss it, but learn how to run into it and to work through it so we can get to a better place of healing. I think it's also helpful and constructive for us to think about how we actually engage with one another in community. So if we even reflect on the ways we introduce ourselves, let's say I'm meeting you for the first time, one question I might ask you is, well, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? So I'd like you all to reflect on how you'd actually answer that question. I imagine that some of you might tell me how you spend your time on a daily basis, like what occupies your day. Maybe you're a college student, maybe you work in custodial or maintenance, or you work in a professional setting, Maybe you're working in a local hospital or a school district or one of the local government municipalities. Maybe you're a professor, maybe you're a business person, you might be a doctor or a lawyer, or you might be training to be a doctor or lawyer, maybe you're in medical school, or you're a law student. You might also tell me that your role is a pastoral role or you're a minister. You might be a mental health worker, work for a nonprofit. You might be raising kids at home or trying to juggle and balance raising kids at home and working at the same time. Now, if you ask me that question, I'd probably answer it the same way. I'd probably talk about the fact that I'm a neuroscientist, I'm a professor at Yale, that I'm really involved in education, a mental health advocate, a podcast host. And so you can see that oftentimes we tend to introduce ourselves and identify ourselves based on what we do. Is that really the core of who we are, though? The other thing that we do sometimes is also identify ourselves based on where we're from. So maybe you tell me what St. Louis neighborhood you live in or where you grew up, whether that's in St. Louis, in another state, another country. And again, I would do the same thing. I'd probably tell you that I grew up in Michigan. I talk about the fact that I have a Ghanaian ancestry and roots with parents that moved here from Ghana and so I identify as Ghanaian American. So again, thinking about ways that we identify ourselves. But does that really encompass who we are? Thinking solely about what we do and where we're from. Not necessarily, but I think that gives us insights into how we think about ourselves and how we identify ourselves. But it's complicated. We know that our identity, our worth, and our sense of peace don't come from those things. But oftentimes, if we're honest, they can be and they can seem dependent on our circumstances and if things are going well. So I realize that I'm having this conversation in a church setting, and so we have this tension where we're trying to identify ourselves solely in Christ, but we have all these other things that are happening at once. So even if we strive towards this, we know that we should be finding our identity, 
our worth and our peace in a loving, faithful, omniscient, omnipresent God who is true to his word and true to his promises. And we know that's the case. But at the same time, if we're honest, we still have that tension when it comes to how do we walk that out on a day-to-day basis. So what does this tension look like, and how does it impact how we interact with one another, wherever we are on that spectrum of that tension in time? We can also think about how we respond to people when they ask us how we're doing. Now, if any of you have teenagers like me, or you interact with teenagers, you already know the answer to this question. What's the answer that you get if you ask a teenager, how are you doing? I'm fine, exactly. (laughs) And depending on the person, you might get a little bit more, or you might have to dig, and you have probably realized over time that's not the best way to ask that question. Better to ask a question like, what happened today? What was good about today? What wasn't good about today? But I think a lot of us tend to do that as well. Others of us might respond to that question by saying, I'm blessed and highly favored. If I was doing any better, there would be two of me. I'm guessing this sounds a little bit familiar. (laughs) But then others of us tend to be a little bit more honest. We might say something like, well, I need to talk. I'm doing okay right now. I've been better. I'm really struggling right now. And so there's a range of how we actually respond in that circumstance. But again, I think that highlights that tension. We know that we should find our identity in Christ. And we have times when we truly feel centered in that. We hear that phrase a lot. Many of us have said that phrase, my identity and my worth are found in Christ. But what does that actually mean in a practical sense? And what does it mean to give ourselves grace when these other things come up as well? And I bring all this up to say that that also impacts how we respond when things aren't going well. What happens when we're facing challenges or when we're experiencing suffering? Again, we can lean on what God has told us in his word to know how we should approach those different circumstances. And so one of the verses I found encouragement in is James 1, verses 2 to 4. This is James writing to churches that are undergoing persecution. And what he says is that they should count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Powerful words, especially when we think about the context with which James is writing this, encouraging them to consider this joy when they're going through these challenges and knowing that it doesn't just stop there, but that God is working through that to bring them to a place of perseverance, building them and making them more mature as well. We see the same type of framework if we look at the letters that Paul wrote, specifically the letters to the Philippians church. So in Philippians 4.4, Paul himself undergoing persecution Rise to the church saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And then in verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And it doesn't end there. When we present those requests to God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So much power in those words the power of God working in our lives when we bring those concerns to him. And these, as you can tell, are verses that are also very familiar to me and verses that I have lived by and tried to live by on a daily basis. But what happens when we have times when we're focusing on God, praying through circumstances, bringing our concerns to him, seeking to walk in joy and in peace, 
but we're still struggling. Where do we go from there? What happens if we incorporate, and what happens if we think about incorporating other aspects and knowledge that God has given us to try and work through these circumstances? Now, immediately when I say those words, oftentimes people have one of two reactions. People will feel like, oh, does that sound blasphemous? Are we looking to things outside of God? Or are we thinking about other things that God has allowed us to also learn about our, bio- our biology and our lives on earth? So I encourage you to think about what are some of those other things that we could maybe incorporate, things that God has allowed us to learn about the brain, about psychology, and about psychiatry. So I'm going to come back to the scripture as well, but I'm going to take a little bit of a detour and do a little bit of a Sunday morning introduction to neuroscience. I'm, I'm, I'm pausing to see how people react to that. I can't see all your faces, but I know that there are different reactions that happen. It's not going to be a neuroscience lecture, but I think it can be instructive as well. So, we all know that our brains respond by recognizing patterns. You all made it here this morning. I would assume that you walked through a door when you came here, that you were able to decipher what the door looked like, that you walked into the door and not into the glass next to it. So our brains recognize patterns. You might be sitting next to people that you've met before, people that you know, people in your family, and so you recognize facial structures and things like that. If you're going home uh, after this, you probably go to the right home, the right apartment. You don't want to end up in someone else's home with someone else's kids. That could be a problem. I could take that farther. I won't for a Sunday morning. But if you have a spouse, you also need to recognize your spouse. There could be problems if you have mistakes in that category. <laughs> so our brains work by recognizing patterns. We know that we have that from our senses. But we also have times where things are uncertain or where things are stressful. When that happens, a hormone called cortisol is released in our bodies, and it also affects our brains. So it typically acts in areas of the brain that are known as the limbic system. These are emotional-related centers of our brain. And this is what leads us into our fight, flight, or freeze response. So when things are uncertain, that's a part of our brain that gets really active, and it can be very difficult to be plan-oriented, to be goal-directed, and to go about things in a normal manner. But that's to our benefit. One story I often say, if you're someone who, let's say you were on an elevator that was starting to get a little bit rickety and maybe seems like it's going to fall, you're probably not just going to sit there and be like, huh, that's interesting. (laughs) You're going to feel a little bit of stress, and you're probably going to get out of the elevator as quickly as possible. My neighbor on the plane was feeling that same sensation when we were being told about the message that they were trying to reconcile. So there are benefits to that. At the same time, Let's say that you're someone who had a bad experience in the elevator. Every time you get into an elevator, you feel that same sensation. It's not going to be very helpful for you if the elevator has no problems and you feel like you need to get out of it. So you can see also when we engage these areas of our brains in certain circumstances, it can be helpful or it can be disruptive. There are other areas of our brain that God has given us, the cortex or prefrontal cortex in particular, that's actually important for regulating emotion. So it's connected to those limbic areas and can actually dampen those responses. Not to say that emotions aren't good, but again, context is very important. The cortex is also important for things like planning, for our higher level thinking, and as I mentioned, for our emotional regulation. So there's an interplay between these two areas that helps us navigate through the day on a day-to-day basis. And we also have tools that we can use to actually reset and engage these prefrontal cortex areas of our brain to actually regulate our emotions. So this is one reason why during the pandemic, a lot of psychologists were telling people to set normal wake times, set normal sleep times, 
to set some exercise times and to have a routine so we could engage our prefrontal cortex, be plan-oriented through the day, even with all the uncertainty that we were facing. But it turns out there are also practices we can use to engage our prefrontal cortex. There are practices from, from psychology, again, that can help us with that. Taking time to pause and reflect can help us with that. But also the spiritual practices that God has encouraged us to do can also engage our prefrontal cortex and help us navigate through difficult situations. There was a really interesting study that came out looking at how people respond to pain. Now, this is going to sound a little bit weird, but basically what they did was to expose people to a little bit of shock. And they wanted to see how did people respond to that shock and how did their brains respond to that shock. So they had one group of people who identified as people who didn't have any type of faith tradition or um, spiritual practices. They had another group that said they meditated uh, daily and a third group that said they prayed to a higher power. What they found is that those who either meditated or prayed to a higher power had a higher threshold for when that stimulus became painful. They were basically able to sustain more pain. They also had more activity in the brain areas that regulate emotion. And this was highest for those who prayed to a higher power or felt like they were praying to God. So something that was very interesting from a research standpoint that also highlighted some of the things that God has told us in his word. But again, what are we supposed to do when there are instances when we feel like what we're doing is not enough? We may be experiencing challenges with anxiety, with depression, or other things where it seems like either our spiritual practices or these other resetting practices aren't worth it. And the question that I would pose to you all is, is it worth combining the tools that we have that we've been instructed in the Word and also some of these practical tools that God has allowed us to learn about and to see whether those are effective? So to illustrate that point, what I want to do is actually just show you a brief, uh, brief video from a colleague of mine who's a psychiatrist at Yale, who's also a Christian and a believer, and who talks about this in this conversation. So if we can cue that up, I'll let you all take a look. Lots of research have come up in recent years that show that you know, people who participate in religious activities um, have a, just a better health generally, physical and mental health generally. People who um, are more religious uh, uh, and they participate regularly in their religious activities are physically healthier, they have healthier lifestyles, they require fewer health services. That's just broadly speaking. Mm. But then um, women, research that have looked at women who attended weekly religious services found that they had lower mortality mm. compared to those who did not. And the more frequent they attended the religious services, the lower the mortality rate, wow. which is really interesting. Uh, attendance at religious services, people found, were associated with decrease in depression and a six-fold reduction in suicide risk. Mm. Wow. So just the subjecting of these ideas into research is showing these benefits that high intrinsic religiosity often leads to more rapid remission of mm. depression to those individuals who have depression. And people also who have this high intrinsic religiosity, um, they adapt more successfully to stress and more mm. quickly than those who do not have it. Mm. So that's just generally looking yep. at it, that there's a general overall general benefit to physical health and mental health pretty powerful to consider. He goes on that video to actually talk about combining 
spiritual practices with psychological practices, and then it becomes even that much more effective. So something for us to think about and to also be reflecting on. But again, if we get back to this idea of this tension between wavering back and forth between finding our identity in Christ or in our accomplishments and our circumstances, what do we do, again, when things aren't going well? We can combine these practices, but we can also think about, well, do we take time to actually let ourselves grow, or do we expect that there's going to be an immediate change in any specific circumstance? Now, I shared this example last night, a humorous example, but when someone breaks their leg, what do they do? Where do they go, typically? Hospital. They might get a cast. Now, if that leg the next day is still broken, or any of us thinking, wow, that person really doesn't have enough faith. I can't believe they, they didn't think that God would heal them that quickly. <laughs> Obviously not. But sometimes we do that with mental health. If someone is walking through anxiety or depression, like, oh, man, I wish they could just get their act together. I wish they could just see that they need to do X, Y, and Z. And we put a different metric on that experience, somehow diminishing the fact that they have to go through a process, whether that's God working directly in their lives or that's them working with a professional or whether it's a combination of the two. So the question I would pose to you is maybe we need to shift our mindset into how we think about these things. It's a journey. There are examples, again, from Scripture where Paul and others were praying to have things removed that God did not remove and they continued to walk with. And so that does not diminish the power of God in those circumstances, but it does let us know how are we actually approaching this from a mental health standpoint compared to some of the other ailments that we might have. And to illustrate that point, I wanted to share a brief video from an addiction psychiatrist, again, who's also a Christian and believer, about a very real scenario that she had with one of her clients who was walking through a specific scenario as well. This is a particular patient that has alcohol use disorder and really, really struggling with alcohol use disorder, um, severe withdrawal, severe medical complications of alcohol use, including um, pancreatitis, requiring stays in the ICU for the withdrawal, just really, really um, very, very sick. Um, and we've, we had tried various medications to help in maintaining abstinence, but that, that wasn't really working. And so we started just talking through a plan of, well, what does it look like to cut down on your alcohol use um, on your own? with all of the engagement in various treatment resources, coming to groups, doing, doing a little bit of AA, during just multiple different supports. Um, and for the first time, a patient came into my office after not having had alcohol for a couple of days and there were no physical signs of withdrawal, like blood pressure was normal. And, and all of this came from sort of really harm reduction principles and slowly thinking about how this person wanted to decrease their alcohol use because medications just hadn't been working. And it was the first time that their body like actually was showing wow. a physical response that the plan was working. So I just like, look, this is it in black and white. Mm -hmm. We're making progress. This is yeah. good. So um, made my week. <laughs> <laughs> that's great i mean definitely so you can see the joy that she had and what she mentioned just two days without alcohol but how quickly are we so let's say that person on the third day did have a drink again how quickly would many of us be oh my goodness i can't believe you slipped up again and forgetting about the process and the progress that god was actually taking the person through in that moment 
So I'd encourage you, and as we think about this whole topic, to really think about what does it mean to be on a journey? God has given us tools. We are seeking to find our identity in him. We continue to surround ourselves with those in fellowship who can remind us of that, bring us back to that grounding, keep ourselves in the scripture, but also to know that it's a journey that we're on. We haven't reached that place of wholeness yet, perhaps. We haven't reached that place of perfection that we will get to when we leave this earth, but we are on a journey. And so I think for many of us, it's important to think about and to remember, yes, God has called us to wholeness, but that's not a place of perfection, but a place of wholeness. And what does wholeness look like? Wholeness looks like being changed and being molded in the midst of brokenness. And that's something that is eventually going to make us stronger. And I want to leave you with one last video that really kind of ties that together in a really real sense, and just to give you a sense of how we can really think about this together as we move forward in community. You know, I have this view that, you know, we're, all of us inevitably will lose our way. Mm-hmm. It's just what it means to be human, you know? Mm, that's good. The temptations will be what they are. And, you know, the thing is that, you know, passing the mic is hard when people are giving it to you mm. over and over and over again, mm-hmm. yeah. trying to anoint you, trying to make you the spokesperson, make you the, you know, always that article, the, not a, but the, right? Yeah. Um, and so when you lose your way, because mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. the question is, what do you have to recalibrate, to recenter? Mm-hmm. I like that. And so I'm a mama's child. Okay. I'm Juanita Glaude's child. Juanita had her first baby in the ninth grade. She was cleaning toilets for a living, mm-hmm. then became a supervisor of, of the janitorial crew at the Ingalls Shipyard, right? So whenever I lose my way, I have something to recenter, to recalibrate. Mm-hmm. Who am I in relation to that representative, that representation of value? Mm-hmm. It's at the core of who I am. So when people don't have the ability to recalibrate, yeah. that's when they become dangerous, you see. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think this, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm skeptical of wholeness. That's good. You know, I'm skeptical. You know, I, I, I use the analogy of katsugi uh, pottery, you know, that Japanese pottery where, you know, you can have a crack. Mm-hmm. It's a crack piece of pottery, right? Mm-hmm. But they fill it with gold. Mm-hmm. The crack doesn't disappear. Mm-hmm. So the crack pot is actually more valuable than mm. the original version. So I don't like to aspire for wholeness. I'm, I'm, I want to find beauty in my brokenness. Because mm. you see, does that make sense? I'm yeah. speaking to the neuroscientists yeah. now. So yeah. I'm trying to. You're good. I'm, You're good. Okay, all right. All right. Hey, you see, I'm going to back up yeah. off that with that. I'm going to leave it alone because he's like, let me, let me break this down. No, you're good. I mean, and everything that comes from, from the pain, too. Exactly. Of moving yeah. forward. Because I mean, we always talk about that with broken bones, but there are ways that that happens with our brains too. I mean, there are all the, the processes and developmental processes we go through. And, you know, people like to throw around the word plasticity, but just the changes that can happen in our brains when we go through certain circumstances. Some of that plasticity can happen through yeah. painful circumstances. Right. And yeah. it's, it's an ongoing process that happens with the good things, that happens with the bad things, and that all gets us to the place where we are now. Mm-hmm. So it's not to say that we avoid the pain and i mean if we're thinking in terms of psychology that's kind of that cliche of avoid avoidance so if you have to deal with something you need to deal with it and move through it if you avoid mm-hmm. it it's just going to fester and so you have to i mean there's this pain that comes with that there's brokenness that comes with that but we get to a stronger place of healing on the other side we learn those skills so 
Yeah. I'll give you that, uh, that neuroscience validation for you. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of power in what he shared there and how much more, again, when we have that value and that worth in our relationship with Christ, to be able to find beauty in the brokenness. And we have a God who walks with us through that brokenness, who heals us in our brokenness, and who strengthens us in our brokenness. Amen. And so with that... I will encourage you to continue on your journey with all the gifts that God has given you, all the people that he's got, he has given you, to walk through life together as a community and to have a place of wholeness through brokenness.